It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here at Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of spiritual warfare. Over the last couple weeks, we've talked about what it means to prepare for battle. Even last week, really diving into Ezekiel chapter 28 to learn a little bit more what the, the scriptures have to tell us about this enemy, this very real enemy whom we call Satan, the adversary, Lucifer. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. If you've missed the prior broadcast, don't worry. You can still listen to those at calvaryfountain.com. There, there's a drop-down menu. You can listen to this broadcast and more right there at your fingertips. Go and share with your friends and family alike. And so today, to help me in this very powerful, enlightening, and convicting study, Dr. Steve Ford is back in the studio. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thanks, John. I know we have a lot of territory to cover today, so I'll I'll keep it brief. And I think it was uh, great last time you were talking about us being ambassadors in hostile territory and Mm. having bullseyes on our back and and that we should expect some pushback. And you and I have discussed before that if we're not getting any pushback, are we really living the sort of lives that we should be living for Christ? That's right. That's right. You know, that adversity is commendable. In fact, the churches that stand for Jesus Christ are often the ones that go through great adversity and it can be discouraging. That's why he gives us one another, the Aaron and hers to our right and left to lift each other up and continue to praise God in in a posture of prayer, dependency on the Lord. As we go through those wilderness moments, he will provide, he will guide. And so we need to be encouraged. And if we're not going through adversity, you're right. We need to ask ourselves, are we really in opposition to the work of the enemy? Which side are we on in this very real spiritual battle? We ask that question, do we believe that the enemy exists? And we're talking about Satan and the armies of darkness that he commands and the kingdoms that he manipulates. We discovered that a little bit more in Ezekiel as he was manipulating manipulating the king of Tyre, and he was like a pawn. Even though the king of Tyre is not without blame, there was another power behind him right. that was steering him and manipulating his decision-making, and we'll see that with the Antichrist as the dragon rises once again, empowering this beast and this Antichrist to rise up against and try to command the entire world. I mean, really, that will be his agenda. And we believe that we're in those latter days. It feels like Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I know we say that an awful lot, but, you know, we know in Peter, in 2 Peter, he commends us for staying the course, keeping our eyes open, looking intently for the return of Jesus Christ, and not to grow dismayed by the scoffers when we keep talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, and they mock us saying, oh, you've been saying that for a while, where is he? Well, we just need to look around. Uh, there are some very weird things going on <laughs> around so us. It true. feels like the Twilight Zone at times. We're just like, how are we coming to that conclusion? Yeah, you, yeah exactly. And, and how does this sort of behavior keep making manifest? And and that's part of the Romans 1 equation. When when God has turned a culture and a people over to a debased mind, the byproduct of that is, seems to be just a, a loss of what we might call common sense, as if yeah. that ever existed. Uh, I believe that anything that looks like any order has always come out of Scripture, right? Yeah. That is, people teaching the ways of God to generation to generation, and the byproduct of that is, seems like a system of order uh, when there's only chaos that tends to come out of societies because of sin. Uh, but let, let's go back to First Timothy chapter 1 for a moment. This really has been the verse that's 
been the baseline conversation for spiritual warfare. It's, and there's a lot to be learned throughout the books of First and Second Timothy. Paul has a lot to say on spiritual warfare and commending Timothy and strengthening him for the role as he's positioned to go into the church of Ephesus and to clean things up and to get the the church right and and uh, ready like a duty station in the midst of a, a very intense battlefield. And so he commends him and strengthens him with these words in verses 18 to 20 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." Now, there's a lot in those few verses there, but what we're learning are these key Greek verbs, stratuo, where we're told to fight as a soldier, a tactical advancement, that we need to use precision, navigating with tactics, and, and being wise as serpents, as we're commanded to do. And then he says the good warfare, which is kalos, excellent or noble, and then uses the word stratia, which is a campaign. So we're told to wage a tactical, noble campaign. This is not a single skirmish, not a short battle at all. It's a lifetime battle until we leave and graduate from this flesh. Yeah, I think Oswald Chambers made famous the phrase, my utmost for his highest, which really means my best for his glory. And I think (laughs) that's the attitude that we need to take. You know, God has gifted us with certain things. He's gifted us with these opportunities, and we need to take those opportunities and use them best we can for his glory. Amen. Daily. Daily. Buffet myself daily to the king's glory. And that's really what it's all about. How have I served the king this day? as a faithful soldier, a knight at the round table, whom he's uh, given me all the armor that I need, his armor, not my armor, but to put on his armor, to use his weapons of warfare and to advance for his glorious purposes, his kingdom work in this present darkness. It's an honor, right, that he would even choose us and pull us out of the miry clay, knowing us by name, having formed us in the womb and giving us a purpose like that to fight the king's battles and to be able to share in that yeah. victory forever it's an and ever. It's amazing blessing. It's, it's amazing. And how little we think of ourselves when we rise to the morning and we go about what feels like mundane experiences and how little we really recognize what's going on all yeah. around us we, every day. We don't sing onward Christian soldiers. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We need to. Nowadays, we need to bring that uh, back. <laughs> I do remember uh, vacation Bible school. Right, Bible right. school, you know, yeah. I'm in the Lord's army. Exactly, exactly. You know, just uh, shout it. Um, let's go to Isaiah chapter 14 for a moment because we were really spending some time in Ezekiel 28 learning a little bit about even the nature of our enemy. And he was a beautiful cherub. Uh, you know, he just had the ornate design of God to reflect his own glory back to himself. That's what the angels did. The cherubs do, the seraphim, all of these creatures that God has made, the four living creatures, they all worship him in in this glorious state. And here he was given this beauty and pipes and timbrels. So we talked about his knowledge of music, most likely, and, and his beauty, which he obviously, as the great deceiver that he is, he's really gravitated to those tools to woo and tempt men with 
with superficiality of things that appear to be beautiful and have no substance. And of course, music that's tainted with just immorality yeah. set to a good beat. So yeah. it's catchy. And then we sing all these uh, sermons of darkness ultimately. But let's look here now in Isaiah chapter 14, what we picked up about the king of Tyre. Now there's a prophecy against Babylon and specifically the king of Babylon. And this was a a message of its coming destruction. But again, there's a greater power behind this king. And it's a manipulation of Satan himself. Here's what we read, Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You are weakened You who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit." Look at what happens here, verses 13 to 14. We ask, what is the sin that root up within Satan? And you can hear it for yourself. Verse 13, I will, I will, I will. Verse 14, I will, I will. Five times <laughs> I'm in sensing two a theme verses. <laughs> That's right. There's this pride that roos up in him. This problem here is pride. He knows his own beauty and he's close to God. He's the Judas of the inner circle and he becomes jealous and desires to be equal with God. And it seems to be his M.O. now to try to tempt man with the same ideas that you can somehow be like God with your your free will and the choices that you can make. I mean, listen to what he said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse five, 4 to 5. In fact, he was talking to the woman in particular. He's talking to Eve. And then Eve, as we know, she goes and she gives the fruit likewise to her husband. But here's how he tempts Eve. He says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And Dr. Ford, before the program, we were talking about that, that here they were created in his image. That's right. And now Satan comes to them and says, you will be like God, as if somehow the relationship and the fellowship that they had with God was not sufficient. Wasn't that already perfect? Yeah. Yeah, they were already perfect. They had relationship, fellowship. He walked, God walked the cool of the day in the garden with them. It was a a temple on earth, the king's garden. He walked with them, communed with them. Cherubs guarded this garden. It was sacred uh, and a very special place. And, And here Satan says, well, you'll be like God. And I I know that that kind of conjures up some questions in our mind here to say, well, wait a minute, how were they not like God before, but now somehow they'll be like God by knowing good and evil? And that's the distorted view of Satan, I believe, that he seems to think that if we express all of the freedom of our choices, that somehow that will be like God. That if I serve myself, do whatever I want, knowing evil, maybe even dabbling and going towards evil, of course, as a deceiver, that's what he'd want us to do, that somehow that embodies the image of God. Yeah. How distorted that is. It is. Yeah. When when Jesus, you know, came and said, everything I do is the will of the father. I'm not doing my will. I'm doing his will. So, you know, Jesus's view is the exact opposite of what Satan is saying, that somehow that apart from God, that we can be like a God. That's right. You know, I mean, his arrogance to just think that, well, I, I rule over 
these kingdoms. They belong to me. I'll trade you Jesus if you just worship me, <laughs> then I'll like, give what? you these kingdoms back <laughs> to you. He, I mean, the, the, the heart of Satan is unbelievably wicked. I mean, yeah. we can't even put a measure on that of the darkness within it. But here, this deception that he tries to tempt Eve with is the same fruit that he uses today. And, and on all of us, what we find then is in Romans chapter one, that men then try to elevate themselves, making decisions that say, I am the master of my own fate and of my own domain, and I'll go and do whatever I want. And maybe we don't say those words, but certainly act in that way when a Hebrews tells us that Jesus demonstrated this obedience to the Father in everything, total dependency on the will of the Father to go out and pray, to fast, to seek his will to be done, to implore him often. Jesus demonstrated total dependency on God right. the Father. Yeah, Satan what, says, you will be like God if you're not dependent right. in any way yeah. on God the Jesus Father. Jesus did what Adam was supposed to do the first time. That's right. Yeah. That's why he's called the second or last Adam, That's indeed. Right. So it, this is something that we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. It reveals the consequences of this type of thinking that I am my own God. We will create our own destiny and maybe even those who seem to think that they'll placate God with maybe a little prayer here and there, but really they want what they want. And, and Romans 1, 18 to 32 tells us what happens that they're turned over to a debased mind. Chaos ensues because it's God who creates order in all things. Otherwise, without God, it's total disorder. He turns us over to entropy. The second law of thermodynamics right. seems to just have its way with us, right? That we just uh, self-destruct without him holding any form of, of, of structure at all. I mean, God is the one who does that. So we then start to find ourselves rebelling even against our very design. So we have even male and female saying, I don't even want to be those genders anymore. I want to be whatever I want to be. And, and then they're clamoring to be the opposite gender or behave in unbecoming ways and lustfully and, and all sorts of immorality. And that's what Romans highlights in chapter one for us, that they're rebelling against everything that God has established. And then we see here that Satan is called the enemy or adversary. That means that his very nature is antagonistic to God. 36 times in the New Testament, he's referred to as that. I mean, even his name is Satan means that enemy or adversary, but yet he's also an adjective of the enemy or adversary as the behavior and his noun is his name. I mean, this is his nature. And then we see in Job chapter 1, Listen to this. Here's what it says, verses 6 to 7. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. This reveals his restlessness. I mean, he's just, he's not on Jupiter. He's not on Mars. God sent him to the earth. We talked about that. Like a bolt of lightning, he was cast out of heaven. He's roaming to and fro on the earth, and, and he's seeking how to thwart everything of God. All of his purposes, his prophecies, if he can just get one of them to fail, then he can destroy the universe, inevitably, right? That, that's what would happen, because then God would be a liar, God right. would cease to exist, the universe comes to a screeching <laughs> Unravels, <out>. yeah. <laughs> right? So the, Satan is so hateful toward the things of God, that's ultimately what he would desire, and he wants the destruction of anyone who pledges allegiance to this living God. And then we see in verses 8 to 11, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Oh, wouldn't Satan just love that, right? I mean, he doesn't just want to destroy us. He wants to discredit us. Anybody who stands for Jesus Christ, he wants to discredit your testimony. He wants you to give him more ammunition to use against you and curse God. And then if you die afterwards, so be it. Right. Right. And and you can see here, he recognizes that God's own are protected by God. And they're not, Satan's not allowed to touch God's people unless they're given, Satan's given the permissible opportunity to come against him in certain ways. Right. Right. He's not allowed to take Job's life. He's allowed to come against him in in his flesh, against his estate, his property, his servants, even against his family. Right. But he's not allowed to take Job's life. God has preserved that. And there's this, we see how the the whole battle there ensues. Satan ultimately loses because, well, Job doesn't give in to compromise his allegiance. Certainly, he's lamenting the day he's born. Sure. He's sitting on ashes. He's, he's grieving. And many believers can go through that at times and not ever fully understand. Right. But what we see is him coming against the servants of God. He wants this opportunity to sift them, just like he does with Peter. He's called the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, Beelzebub, Belial, deceiver of the whole world, dragon, the enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, the god of this world, a liar, a murderer, the prince of the power of the air, ruler of this world, the ancient serpent, and the tempter, just to name a few. <laughs> I, I think those those capture who he is quite well. Yeah, his well, essence. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we see in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was prepared for him, ultimately, and all who follow him. And that's why it's so important that we understand that there is no neutral ground in this spiritual battle. Right. We try to walk that line. So many people do. I don't want to get caught up in that. Yeah. You know, I'm not a religious person. I'll just walk in the middle. Right. And scripture tells us in Matthew 12, 30 and Luke 11, 23, that there is no neutral ground. You're either for him or against him. Exactly right. Yeah. I was going to go to that exact same place. Jesus made it crystal clear. There's only two camps, two types of people. Yep. And there's only two roads. Right. There's only two roads. Exactly. A narrow road or a wide road. Right. Unfortunately, it's a wide road because so many choose that path of thinking there is no battle, that there is no hell, and it's all just going to work out in the end. All roads somehow lead to God. And you know what? I'll just deal with it when I get there. Right. I was talking with a gentleman the other day about this, and I, I said, you know, it's interesting how he specifically said that. That all religions and anybody who's trying to clamor to understand the afterlife, well, they all lead to the same path. And I said, well, that's impossible. Yeah, it's absolutely make, impossible. They make contradictory they, claims. Yeah, they, they yeah. all do. I mean, you, you Confucius, I mean, if you look at Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, those who practice Islam, uh, Christianity. Christianity, definitely. I mean, they're all Very contrary to one another. Right. So either there's a schizophrenic God at the front, <laughs> at the top of all of this, because none of them say the same thing. They're yeah. all contradictory to another. One demands blood. Another says, I give my own right. for you. Yeah. Uh, totally different ways. So... The only reasonable deduction in that is there is only one way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. So if that means that you have to either fully accept him of God, as God or he's crazy right. because there is no middle ground. He gives you no middle ground. And we talked about that with C.S. Lewis. Yeah, liar, lunatic, or Lord. You yeah. Three choices. You, know? so you have to fall into no one of those camps. other way to examine the evidence. As a, as a reasonable man, you must make that conclusion to say that there is either they're all wrong or this one is right, or but they can't all be right. Yeah. And you have to examine the evidence for yourself. 
Yeah, and your eternal existence hangs in the balance. That's it. You know? I mean, we'll plan out our next week. We'll plan <laughs> yeah. out the next year. Right. We'll plan our, our retirement. Day-to-day calendars, yeah. yeah. But then somehow we're just going to leave our yeah, eternity wing up it. to chance. Right, right. Right, and, yeah. and that's exactly what Satan would want us to do. Right, right. I agree so completely. so drowned out with the noise of this world yeah. that we make no provisions for life thereafter. Yeah. And, and if we understand what life thereafter looks like, it will fundamentally change everything or should yeah. and how we're living in the here and now. Yeah. We've talked a number of times before about the slow fade. And I think that's one of Satan's greatest tools. It's, mm. it's not sort of an in your face temptation. It's more that slow fade, some distractions, those sort of things that sort of get us off the path. And all of a sudden uh, you realize that the Lord's way over there and you're way over here. And how did that happen? That's you right. Know? I mean, even one of the great travesties of the pandemic, I mean, aside from all those who have been ill and, lost loved ones and some of the difficulties of that. Uh, you know, I know sickness has been around for a very long time, uh, coronaviruses for a very long time. And, but th- it's definitely, we were feeling some of the, the, the difficulties all around us. And one of the tragedies that I've seen is the fact that there are many who acclimated to the idea that, well, my church will become my phone right. or, or my laptop. Yeah. Um, I, I can go out to restaurants again, but I'm not going to go back to churches. Yeah. And, uh, and I know even at our church initially about 33% hadn't come back and, and we've since grown and, and recovered new family members have come in, but sure. it was amazing to start to talk with some of the ones who just slow acclimated out yep. of the disciplines of, I'm going to go deal with the parking, deal with the people, right. be inconvenienced on a Sunday morning <laughs> because it's not about me. It's my right. allegiance to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I want Satan to see it. And I want all the, the, the forces of darkness around it to, to see that I am going to worship the right. Messiah uh, yeah. and it's going to cost me something. I it's think that's not so going important to be easy. because in the end, worship isn't about what we get out of it. It's about what God gets out of it and the whole purpose. It's all about God. It's not about right. us. Amen. Amen. And that's, you know, and that's a, a daily discipline that can easily be lost when he tells us to not forsake the assembly of the brethren, especially yeah, as the so days clear. draw near to his return. It's going to get tougher. Yeah, It's going to get harder. We've seen other. already uh, new legislation in Canada recently, the C4 bill passed that redefines uh, what, well, it basically uh, prohibits pastors from talking about uh, the sexual identities that God established when he made them male and female and he brought them together, and that is a monogamous heterosexual marriage that God designed. That statement that I just made would now be illegal right. in Canada yeah. as of January 8th. Yeah. Uh, because they would see that as it's some hate, sort of hate a, speech. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, in, in the therapies, conversion therapies, and so right. forth that they're trying to say uh, to amend. Right. And, and now broaden that text. And in the preamble of the C4 bill, actually calls it a myth yeah. that to say that a child is born a certain gender. And that's it. Um, and to say, well, they're male and that's what they are now. And their identity will be male. Uh, to say that's a myth now. Uh, so we're living in those Romans 1 times. And I believe that that means that we as a church need to be stronger in recognizing that we are surrounded with spiritual warfare. We've become the ostrich with our head in the sand, yeah. pretending like it's not happening, not praying like a disciplined soldier, certainly not getting the duty stations ready for battle. And being in the word and of the word as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And this is because we don't take our enemy seriously. Yeah. It's so I think true. You think we think of them as a work of fiction sometimes. Yeah. I mean, years ago, they used to say a recession is when your neighbor loses your job. A depression is when you lose yours. <laughs> so sometimes it's easy for us, right. like you said, just you know, be like an ostrich and put our head in the sand. It's not really impacting us. It's impacting those around us. Yeah. Uh, but it's only a matter of time before we're impacted too. So you right. know, we need to turn that around and just um, sort of take the reins, you know, under the Lord's leadership 
That's right. Fight and, back. and be the soldier that wages right. a tactical, uh, excellent or noble campaign. Yeah. And that means every day, every day we rise to the occasion and we say, Lord, I am your servant. Right. Take up our cross. And, and all that matters in this life is that the, the legacy I leave is to your glory. Amen. I have served Amen. the King well. That is all that matters. And that means that it will change everything, how we spend money, how we yeah. spend time, uh, what we invest in, in this kingdom, uh, this, this temporary kingdom that it is, right. that will all be changed. We'll I mean, every mountain heaven. comes yep. down, every island flees, yep. the, the landscape will be changed when Jesus Christ comes back. Amen. And uh, so, so invest wisely, yeah. right? And the That's treasures right. that have eternal value. So we're, we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. We've no, got a lot more to cover. I mean, we've just gotten through a couple of the Old Testament prophecies and, and what they've revealed to us about our enemy. We've got a lot more to cover on the subject. So over the next few weeks, stay with us as we continue talking about spiritual warfare. We hope this is a, at least a, something that's convicted you to learn more. And you can do that at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com, where you can also watch services online, but we hope you join with us in person. And services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday, and we have groups that meet throughout the week. We hope this has been encouraging to you. Thanks for listening to Engage in Truth. God bless you, my friends. Take care.